Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Hey Alexa, play Ave Maria, because Facebook is dying. Not to be dramatic or anything, but if you want to get really philosophical, anything after it has been created is technically dying. A very slow death. But I have been hearing that Facebook is dying. I think the entire time that I've worked in social media, which is a decade. And while perception doesn't always equal reality, it's a day that I've been on the lookout for quite some time. When is Facebook going to officially die? Some people might believe that it already is dead. To those people, we need to sit down and have a little chit chat today. So buckle up, grab your coffee, let's have some fun. For a single user, Facebook could be dead. You could not be using it anymore. You could have deleted it. You could quote unquote, never go on it anymore. But when you're looking at the global data, it has historically continued to show growing active users until last quarter. Before we get into today, I want to lay the foundation of what it is that Facebook has been through so we better understand what it is we're talking about today. If you haven't watched the film The Social Network with Jesse Eisenberg, here's a quick non-dramatic rundown. Facebook started in a dorm room at Harvard University in 2003. It actually began as a web-based application created by Mark Zuckerberg called FaceMash, where Harvard students could judge the attractiveness of their classmates. It only lasted two days before it was shut down and caused a complete uproar, drawing 450 people to vote 22,000 times. With that initial success, Zuckerberg registered www.thefacebook.com in January of 2004 and launched the new social network with fellow students the next month. Initially exclusive only for Harvard students, users could post pictures and information about their lives, schedules, and interests. The friend function helped the platform grow in popularity, where you could add friends, connect with friends, see their pages, and eventually that paved the way for other universities to join in. So by June of 2004, there were more than 250,000 students from 34 schools signed up. In September of 2004, the wall was created. So the wall allowed users to post on their own wall and other friends' walls. It served as its own little micro-community, if you will, for friends to connect publicly. It allowed users to share their interests, their photos, their stories, and updates. It was the beginning of weird status updates, too. Like, it said your name and then is. So you said, John is happy, or Sally is hating math. It was really mundane. (laughs) And it was a mundane thoughts gone rampant. It was a little bit like Twitter, but we'll get back to this later. By the end of 2004, after only 11 months, they had 1 million users. So keep in mind, at this time, the leading social platform was MySpace, and they had 5 million users. In 2005, tagging became available. So now, not only could you post pictures of friends, you could also tag your friends. And that just allowed for mass growth and connection. The company also dropped the the in the name and officially just became Facebook.com. 
In 2006, Facebook opened up to anyone older than 13. In 2008, it surpassed MySpace as the most popular social media site. So that was only four years after going live. And in 2012, its IPO raised $16 billion, which in contrast, Google in 2004 during its IPO raised just shy of $2 billion. So that is eight times over the course of eight years, which is crazy. In 2012, they also acquired Instagram for $1 billion. WhatsApp and Oculus VR came about in 2014, and about 90 other companies' patents and products throughout its history they've been acquiring, buying, merging, etc. In 2021, in light of the variety of platforms and the vision for the future of the organization, the holding company renamed to Meta. There's still some confusion around if Facebook was actually becoming Meta, like Facebook the app. Facebook the app is always going to be Facebook the app. It's the holding company that became Meta because they were moving beyond just social apps. We'll get to why they did that later. I still remember my first Facebook account and it looked drastically different. Users had the wall, you used your first and last name, which coming from MySpace where everyone could have all the little stars and the squiggles in their names. And, you know, I I remember this one girl was Peggy at the disco. There was all these, (laughs) all these weird little tags you could have on MySpace where you could somewhat mask your identity. But with Facebook, you were who you were and you showed up exactly who you were and tagging your friends in photos. Poking was really big, where you could poke your friends, and it was essentially a never-ending list of pokes. It was a very interesting time. And some of that transformation changed the way in which we interacted and built friendships. So I had friends that I met through Facebook and eventually became friends in real life. And that was a first for me. Getting into college and connecting with future college colleagues and students that were going to be in my major or in my dorm room, I had only been on the platform for two years at that point, and it really opened up the world to broader communities. And that was a really cool feature of it. And now, if you were to ask me if I'm on Facebook, no, not really. I don't add people on Facebook ever. I'm not growing my personal community But I do use it for business and keeping up with people and on groups. I love my groups. So that's about it. And that's how it's changed for me personally. And that that to be said, while my user experience evolved over time, Facebook was going through some things. It was having a hard time. Some of the biggest controversies over the lifetime of Facebook included in 2014, Facebook faced criticism for conducting psychological tests on 70,000 unconsenting participants in 2012, removing certain words from users' news feeds to test how that affected their reactions to posts, which isn't great. The company also faced heavy criticisms for misinformation surrounding the 2016 U.S. presidential election, especially after a BuzzFeed reporter showed that false news stories outperformed real news. Mark Zuckerberg posted to Facebook an apology and said the company plans to improve. In 2018, when news of the Cambridge Analytica scandal broke and revealed that 
the data analytics firm improperly harvested data from tens of millions of Facebook users for ad targeting during the 2016 election. 2019, the FTC fined Facebook $5 billion over violations of user privacy, which was a record-breaking fine for a tech company. And in 2021, a whistleblower came out to the Wall Street Journal to share internal documents that demonstrated issues with the algorithm that fueled fighting on the platform. So the data today is drastically different than what it used to be. When I was working on Facebook ads back in 2015 and 2016, it was a open book. We weren't able to go in and see what you specifically as a user were doing. We couldn't see a rap sheet of your personal data. What we could do is we could create audiences that were very granular. So we could say that we wanted to talk specifically to women between the ages of 21 to 25 who lived in a 10 mile radius of this one dog groomer. And we wanted to focus on people that had poodles that were between the ages of five to seven, having a household income of over $100,000. So we could get really granular with it. And with that time, something that was also available was what your political affiliation was. So we could target specifically slightly leaning right or slightly leaning left in order to nudge them in one direction or another with ads and with messages and whatnot. So the data was there to be able to really calculate and manipulate decisions if you wanted to. It could be used for good or for evil. So now with all of the data privacy and regulations that are in place because of all of those controversies that have happened over the last decade, it makes it much more difficult for advertisers to get the ad in front of the right person. Not impossible, but it just means it's not as open access as it was back then. So when you think about what fueled the growth of Facebook, the platform, it was advertising revenue, which was driven by two parts. One is the size of the audience that they had on the platform. And two is by the data that they had on that audience. So while Facebook is free, the trade for users has always been a trade for their data for advertisers, even though that business model stumps Congress members from time to time. Well, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. I see. No doubt it's going to continue to be incredibly difficult to regulate an industry uh, in which is just light years ahead so for for government entities trying to ask questions and really understand the root of technology is going to continue to be interesting. But the regulation actually for Facebook has come from another tech company, which was Apple. In 2021, Apple came out with iOS 14, which completely changed the game with advertising. Apple wanted to give users a more transparent choice to protect their privacy and information, which means that they implemented a requirement for apps that are now having to ask your permission when they want to track you across different apps and websites that are owned by other companies. Apps also need to disclose information about how and where they are going to use user data that they are tracking. So that increased privacy measure through a little more regulation around apps, including Facebook. And what's also interesting is that 
out of all of the tech companies, all of the social apps specifically, the one that didn't report a loss and being impacted negatively by these privacy changes was Google and YouTube. And that is because they have their own mobile operating system with Android. They also have Chrome and users are much more in tune with how they're operating within a Google system versus a third-party app that is using the iOS system wholeheartedly. With increased privacy measures, advertising companies like Facebook are limited in what they can use for data to target ads to their customers. And this ultimately is going to mean that there's less personalized ads, higher costs for advertisers, and less productive results than there were in previous years. That's not to say that it's not still an effective medium because there are so many people on the platform and they do still have a very generous amount of data on users. It's just not as robust as it once was. So here we are today, nearly two decades after the birth of Facebook in that probably grungy dorm room in Harvard, asking ourselves, is Facebook dying? Like I said at the beginning of this episode, I feel like I've heard this question the majority of my career. So I decided to look back at Google to see what were the first articles that I could find on if Facebook was actually dying. So I looked in 2014 and found one in 2014 that claimed it could lose up to 80% of its followers by 2017, which clearly did not happen. They surpassed 2 billion users at that point. There was a UK-based article in 2013 that claimed that teenagers don't like it, so it must be on its way out. And then in 2012, there was a CNET article that predicted a mobile-based app would be the demise of Facebook. They also claimed a sinking IPO as an indicator that Facebook was going down. And it was at $28.84 per share, where now it is at $210 per share. That's a 63% annual return rate on investment. So I would say that they've outdone themselves. For the last decade, people have been speculating about the demise of Facebook. And yet, Facebook's stock has grown 452% since IPO in 2012. That means if you bought 100 shares on opening day for $3,800, that would be worth $21,000 now. There was a big drop of 26% in one day back in February 2022, thanks to factors like underperformance and Apple's new privacy features impacting audience data. But when you're looking at it holistically over the entire decade that Facebook has been publicly traded, it's performed very well. Monthly active users on the platform have also continued to steadily increase each quarter until a slow in Q3 2021. Currently, it's sitting at about 2.9 billion, which means 36% of the entire world population are monthly active users. 36% of every single living, breathing human being on this planet is a monthly active user of Facebook. Do you know how crazy that is? That's insane. And while people like to use headlines to say that it's going down, the thing that is changing is the growth rate. So it is still growing, but we're finally seeing a slow growth. We're seeing a slower growth than we have historically, which means while it is still increasing its user base, we're seeing less people each quarter coming to the platform. And When you're penetrated in 36% of the global population, I would say that is a, uh, that's a fair maturity rate to get to. And if you're looking at it like it's a curve, it's starting to slow the curve. We're starting to see the top of the curve form. 
when you're looking back at those articles, some of the predictions said there would be competition that would come in and completely wipe out Facebook. But social media users have an average of 8.6 platforms per user, which means it would take a significant amount of platforms to overtake Facebook so that they're not one of those 8.6 platforms. The demise is actually going to come back to those two factors. Either the audience is going to leave or the data leaves. And even with Apple's iOS 14 coming in and the increased cost of business, less effectiveness, I could see that being closer to the end of Facebook. But even then, there's the second factor, which is the size of the audience, 36% of the world population. For an audience of this size with the behaviors and communities they have, I think it's going to take a lot longer. It's a slow death. As other platforms take precedent with younger crowds, think TikTok, I imagine there would be a slower adoption rate given the trends we're seeing in the monthly active users. Facebook may have maxed out its market penetration and may be hitting maturity this year in its users. But as long as it still has data and an audience, it will continue to make money. It will continue to be profitable for brands. So is Facebook dying? Sure. A very, very slow death. But with the introduction of Meta and the loads of companies in their portfolio, I don't think Meta is too worried about Facebook since they know they have time. Right now, they're investing a lot in their what they call reality labs. And that's the work in the metaverse and the virtual reality division. That is different from their family of apps, which is Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. And they have now split those two categories when they are talking in their earnings reports. When you're thinking about the family of apps division, even though there's so much controversy, they've continued to grow both revenue and profits over the past few years. So from 2019 to 2021, that revenue segment grew from 70 billion to 115 billion, whereas their Reality Labs division has lost and burned $10.2 billion, which is what they are predicting is going to happen since they are investing heavily in that sector. So this is the perfect time for them to be able to invest in the future of internet, the future of creativity and creator commerce, because they still have Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp as viable revenue generating platforms. In today's world, social media is run through apps. With the ideation of Web3, which is the next iteration of the internet that's built on blockchain technology, we're expecting to see much more decentralization and open availability for creators, brands, everybody. And rather than influencers being on YouTube and sharing content where they get a cut of ad revenue, they're going to be able to have their own direct-to-consumer channels where they share their own content and get full ad revenue. So the threat to social apps is real with blockchain technology, Web3 based futures. Meta sees that and knows that if they can be on the forefront of creating the next iteration of the internet, which is the metaverse, they can sustain company growth and survive in a Web3 world. So what does that mean for brands? Is it time to pull away from Facebook? Is the investment in social apps altogether completely irrelevant now because you know it's not going to be here in the future. I would say keep investing where your audience is today. And they're likely on Facebook. But with the competition, organic reach is very difficult on the platform. 
Consider your targeted ads while you still can and prioritize community and connection in your content. The more that you get invited into your buyer's inner circles today, the more likely you're going to stay connected to them socially for the long haul, whether it's on Facebook, Metaverse, or beyond. You can't lose the time trying to plan so hard for the future and lose the amount of connectivity that you have today on the social platforms that are available While it's great to have that foresight and know where these channels are going, keep an eye on what Meta is investing in. But Facebook, with its market penetration and its availability, its ad platform, you can't compare. So brands that are sitting there saying Facebook is dead, it's not. We still have, I would say, about a decade with Facebook before it's going to be completely gone. And at that point, you're already going to be prepared and ready and you'll have the community that you've been investing in over the last decade that you're going to be able to connect with them anywhere. So keep an eye on the future, but don't miss out on the investment and opportunities that you have today because it's not going to exist the same way it does today in the next decade. You're not going to have that central pool of data that you can tap into and target even if it is more limited. This is just the start of the limitation that you're going to have on your availability to target and personalize ads. So use that to your advantage while you can. Make sure that you do it in an ethical way where it is for the benefit of the customer and the consumer, not for the benefit of your own agenda. And continue to prioritize community because community can still break through any type of data regulation, any type of ad regulation. And if you build a brand where people really want to be, you're going to keep building that no matter which platform you're on. And that is the tea for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there. This episode of The Social Complex was produced by You Lucky Dog Podcasts. Do you love recording your podcast, but the idea of mixing and editing makes you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck. Whether you're just getting started or looking for help with an already established show, You Lucky Dog Podcast can help take your content to the next level. Put your show in the hands of experienced professionals so you can focus on creating and having fun. Visit youluckydogpodcast.com and book your podcast consultation today. That's youluckydogpodcast.com.